This is a Main Hustle Media Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Jackie O and you're listening to Militantly Mixed. Yo, this is Rashani from the single simulcast. And when I'm not making you laugh or making up parody songs, I'm kicking back. Listening to Militantly Mixed. I would like to acknowledge that the Main Hustle Media podcasts are recorded on the traditional lands of the Karankawa, the Chumash, and the Tongva people, and I wish to pay my respects to the people of those nations, both past and present. Hey y'all, welcome to Militantly Mixed, the podcast about race and identity from the mixed race perspective. I am your host, Charmaine Fury, aka Sir Auntie Maine, aka the Blasian Blurred, the busiest mixed race by gendered bisexual polyamorous atheist comic book nerd cat mom and two-time Asian American Podcasters Association's Golden Crane Award-winning podcaster in this podcasting game. This is episode 165, and it is the final episode of, I, I guess I'm just calling this like Q1 2022. I, I don't do seasons, so how I break it up, yeah, Q1 2022 episodes. Uh, before I go on my April mental health hiatus, which I do every year. And um, it couldn't come at a better time because I am... Uh, in my last couple of days as co-owner of Gulf Coast Cosmos in Houston, Texas. And my last two days are Friday and Saturday, the March 25th and 26th. So I imagine those are going to be um, some pretty emotional days for me. And, um, and also days of excitement, too, as I transition into going full-time as a podcaster, which has been a dream since I started podcasting four years ago. And then I am going to be part-time a travel agent, which I already have kind of started to do. But um, over the course of April, I will be more actively pursuing uh, customers for my travel agency, Travel by Maine, uh, you know, to pay some bills. But for the most part, until podcasting can pay bills full-time, I will be doing that and dedicating majority of my time to podcasting, which I'm really excited about. I think it's time. And um, I don't know if I would have had the courage to quit my job just to go full-time podcasting. Um, I kind of needed the transition between leaving my job to start the comic book shop with Byron and then I guess now leaving the comic book shop to start Main Hustle Media full-time as a full-time deal for me. Um, so... I'm excited. I'm also a little bit sad. I've been describing this feeling as bittersweet. I've had some emotional roller coaster times where I've just like massively depressed that I'm leaving something behind that I love and then massively excited that I'm starting something I I really love full time too. Um I guess it's okay to feel those feelings at the same time, but you know, it's been emotional. <laughs> it's been emotional. That being said, I'm really excited about the trip that I have coming up to Los Angeles next week uh, because it is militantly mixed related and I'm looking forward to the fruits of that labor uh, whenever that ends up um, being something that I can talk about too. So there's a lot of good and a lot of exciting things going on. Um, but you know, some days, some days I'm, I'm massively sad about it. So that's what's been going on. Uh, before we get into today's episode, I do want to do a update from last week or a clarification from last week. 
Last week, my guest was Nikki, and she told a story about um, after she and her brother and her mother moved to a predominantly white community with her mother's boyfriend at that time, who was also white, and and how um, how they were dealing with their race, quote unquote, um, was that she had been told to refer to themselves as Samoan instead of black or half black uh, because they thought that that might be easier for them. And whether or not that was easier for them in school or easier them in, in life or whatever wasn't really clear uh, to Nikki as a child. Um, but it was something that has really stuck with her and, and something that you know was upsetting for her um, in her childhood. And uh, her mother did get a chance to listen to the episode. And while I do believe it caused her mother pain to, to hear about ways in which um, not dealing with race and identity in a very healthy way in, as for her children, what happened was they were able to have a more open conversation about that type of stuff. And, and what was revealed was that it wasn't actually the mother whose idea it was to do this. It was her boyfriend at the time. Her boyfriend at the time was concerned that his ex-wife and daughters would find out that his current girlfriend's children were black. Don't have more information about that. Can't even go into how how that was anybody's problem but his. But um, this episode gave Nikki and her mother an opportunity to talk about that incident in, in the past and, and have a little bit more open communication about uh, the effect of that. So um, so Nikki described it to me as um, not that it makes the situation any better because her mom had gone along with what her boyfriend requested, um, but it does make more sense and, and, and tracks how she understands her mother to be that it wouldn't have been her mother's idea because that was always something that stood out as weird. Like, why did my mother do this? Because she's never told me not to be myself in any other respect. Um, so it, it just basically clarif clarified a memory that it was um, due to the boyfriend at the time that her mother conceded to it and, and, and allowed them to tell the children to do that. Um, and so it gave them a chance to talk about it now where Nikki is an adult. And while it might have been painful discussion for, for both of them, I think it was probably a really healthy experience for them as well. And it may not have happened if Nikki hadn't had a chance to tell her story on the show. Because that's also something that happens. When you tell your story on the show, sometimes a memory pops up. And the way you remember it um, is might be different from the way the other people involved remember it. And if this opens up an opportunity to, to talk about that, that, that can actually kind of pave the way, I think, to healing about um, some of the things that we deal with, racial trauma or, um, or painful memories or, or however each individual person classifies it. Because even in my case, I, I talk a lot about how you know, monoracial parents aren't necessarily um, equipped to handle their mixed-race children's experiences very well because they don't relate to them because they don't have similar experiences. But even my own biracial parents also were not equipped to help me through some of the things that I experienced. So I think as adults getting these opportunities to, to have those conversations with the people who did influence your identity and the way you felt about your own racial categories and stuff like that um, 
you know, it could pave the way to some healing. And um, I really hope that for, for Nikki and her mother. And honestly, shout out to them for having that conversation. Because it could have just been a cricket situation, you know, like, oh, heard something uncomfortable, don't want to deal with that again. But instead, it led them to have the conversation. And um, I'm sure Nikki appreciates that. I hope her mother appreciates that, too. And then for me, I'm just I'm just proud that of them that they did it because <laughs> um, that's how I, I just really believe that um, working through that stuff can be really helpful to healing as an adult. Um, okay, so let's see. This episode is a little bit of a longer one, and it is continuing on in this accidental theme of Q1 in which I have met the person who is a guest on my show in Meet Space. And not only that, uh, we're actually friends. We've, we've become friends since I've moved here to Houston, and um, and it's yet another connection that I have through Gulf Coast Cosmos. Uh, my guest today is Crimson. He describes himself in the episode as, as mostly black and white, although there's a lot of other stuff going on in there. And, um, and we've had several conversations about uh, his identity as a mixed person since I've met him, um, including one that finally made us schedule a date to have the conversation that we had uh, for this episode. Um, and you'll I mean you'll hear it as soon as soon as we get to talking crimson is not someone that you can avoid liking um, like the second you meet him you like him and you want him around uh so we have a lot of fun even as we talk about some of the more painful aspects of uh, his mixed identity and his experiences um we still have a really good time having these conversations and um and then just as a person, uh, you may have heard me refer to him as a bodega cat. And that, <laughs> um, if you listen to like my other platforms too, because I, I have talked about him before, uh, he's the bodega cat because he was our first customer at Gulf Coast Cosmos. He was our first Patreon sponsor. Uh, and he was just always there last year when we were doing our pop-ups. And half the time he clocks in like he's an employee. Uh, the second someone walks in, he's just like, hi, how you doing? I'm Crimson. Welcome to Gulf Coast Cosmos. What are you into? How, what, can I guide you towards anything? And he just, it just, we, Byron and I will just sit down and just watch him work, um, even though he's not an employee of Gulf Coast Cosmos. He's just, he's just a really cool comic book nerd who wants everybody else to get the best out of their comic book experience at the shop. And, you know, I love him for it. So I'm looking forward to being able to share his story with you. But also, I'm really glad to be able to kind of wrap up this Q1 section of Militantly Mixed episodes for 2022 on the high note that is Crimson. Yeah, I don't know. Just love him. Yeah, I'm, without further ado, well, yeah, a little bit further ado. Uh, just an update on the fundraiser. Uh, we, we haven't made any progress since two days ago when I last talked about it on the show um, because I am recording on Thursday well, I guess that's what five days before you're going to hear this episode. Uh, so there hasn't been much progress yet, but we're still going at it. We're still trying to hit a thousand dollars. We're we're at about two hundred eighty-eight dollars and some change. Um, because right before I recorded last time, we had gotten a T-shirt sell in and contributed about three dollars and some change into the fundraiser. So I haven't posted a, a major update yet. But I hope to be doing that uh, regardless of whether or not I'm on the hiatus. And there are going to be some things that will drop during uh, the hiatus. It's just that I won't be actively recording. Um, so stay tuned for that. There will still be stuff that will air during the month of April. I just won't be actively recording anything new during that time. And uh, so 
We'll keep talking about it. Um, the The Facebook fundraiser is up there, and there is a link to that in the show notes. And and that's just for anybody who wants uh, maybe a more official way to donate where you can actually have a receipt as well. Although I think PayPal may probably provide you with some form of receipt if you deposit um, a if you donate in in PayPal. Uh, but the three three ways to contribute to the fundraiser is to go to paypal.me slash militantlymix and drop some coins in that tip jar. Every little bit helps and helps us get to that $1,000 goal um, faster. Uh, militantlymix.com, the merch tab, purchase any Militantly Mix t-shirt. And after the print company takes their amount, the rest of that will go towards um, the fundraiser and depending on the size of the shirt, because I keep all the shirt sizes, the same price, um, the amount that is, is given to militantly mixed, it ranges from $3 and change to about six or $7, I think at this point, that's what happens when, because I have to use a print on demand source instead of a, a, a wholesale source. And the third way is the Facebook fundraiser. So if you go to the Facebook group of, uh, militantly mixed or the, Per, uh, the public militantly mixed page. There is a link to the uh, fundraiser there, and um, I've also posted about it on social media as well. So if you would like to contribute that way, that is yet another way. And then when I do my updates on social media, they will they will be a combined total across all three of those ways of donating. Um, but we are trying to get to a thousand dollars so that we can uh, help our way to get our way through April, May, and June, and. Um, that's, that's what we're doing. So I'll put links to that in the show notes. Oops, I almost forgot. Uh, because I've been hyping the fundraiser so much, I haven't really been hyping the Patreon as much. But we did receive another Patreon sponsor this last week. So I would like to shout out Bindi for contributing at the $5 level uh, to have access to the video episodes of Militantly Mixed. So thank you, Bindi, for becoming a Patreon sponsor. That now brings us to $315 a month in Patreon sponsorship. So thank you to the continued Patreon sponsors and to our latest Patreon sponsor, Bindi, because that is the bread and butter of the show. If you would like to contribute to Patreon, you can go to patreon.com slash militantlymix and subscribe as low as a dollar a month to as high as anything you wish. And there are different reward levels depending on what you choose. And if you choose the $5 or a month or above level, you will have access to the video versions of the episodes, which should all be caught up by the time April hiatus happens. <laughs> so I'm still working on catching things up. But once I come back in May and I'm a full-time podcaster, I should not have any excuses for these videos to not air on time. Uh, so thank you again to Bindi. And if you would like to support the show, a fourth way, so not just the fundraiser, but through monthly sponsorship, patreon.com slash militantly mixes way. That's, <laughs> that's pretty much it. It's weird. I feel like I have to pack a lot of information in since I'm not going to be recording for a month, but it'll be okay. It's not like it's my first hiatus. I've been doing this for two years. It'll be fine. Okay, so let's get into today's episode. I've already talked about Crimson. You're going to hear that I that I absolutely adore him throughout this uh, thing. So without further ado, please join me in welcoming our latest cousin to the Militantly Mixed family, Crimson.
And today I am joined by someone else that I know in Meat Space, which I know this is like starting to become a trend, but um, my friend and Gulf Coast Cosmos bodega cat, Crimson, is uh, joining me today. Welcome, Crimson. Hello, hello. <laughs> it is really weird to... It's harder. It's harder. It's harder. I know you... We've talked about this stuff. I'm going to forget that everybody else doesn't know the stuff. And I'll just be like, yeah, yeah, I already have this stuff. And then I got to force myself to remember to ask you questions. <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> but we did just have a big conversation about mixedness and race and stuff like that in general just a couple of days ago. Um, in a Yeah, literally just a few days ago. And honestly, I don't even remember how it got started it just is where it ended up i feel like every time i'm in a room at some point it ends up being something about <laughs> like it ends up coming to either comics or mixedness or comics and mixedness uh will end up in conversation uh but before we get into it why don't you introduce yourself a little bit to the audience and within that also let everybody know what your mix is and then we'll get into it yeah absolutely so uh my name is crimson jordan uh i am an advocate educator comic book nerd uh artist writer uh, uh i like hats i like hats uh, and <laughs> and uh, yeah 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 and i uh i am a lot of things but mostly black and white um and <laughs> then and <laughs> for a while we thought that we were part mexican but we ended up just being part black that lived in mexico copy that that's the thing. Um, too. And then I have a tiny, <laughs> tiny bit of Asian in me. Do you know what kind? <laughs> what kind of Asian? Yeah. Um. Yeah. Yes. Actually, Mongolian of all of all. Okay. Things. Oh, that's yeah. because Genghis was out there on these on these streets mixing in it up streets. with everybody. Genghis like in streets, almost and now all I have of to us. Bills. Almost yeah. all of us have uh, have some some of his bloodline. <laughs> um. So just a little background on you and me. Uh, you are, I guess the reason why I know you is because you are a friend of Byron, my business partner, Gulf Coast Cosmos. And when, by the time I got to Houston, you were already like, we're BFFs. You just like walked in like, hey, Charmaine, what's up, hug? You know, like, like you just, you just <laughs> like already knew me. You are our first customer and our biggest supporter throughout most of um, this journey so far. And then on top of it, you're the first person to write about Byron and me and the shop together. Yes. Of any of the press and publications that we've had, which you did in Spectrum South. Uh, so, so yeah. Absolutely. That's yeah, I totally forgot to mention that. I am a writer for Spectrum South. It's a magazine that uh, highlights queer Southern identities because the misconception is that you can't survive or be happy as a queer in the South. <laughs> You're just supposed to be miserable and get hate crime every closet. day. And <laughs> yeah, actually, uh, we, the gayest I get to be like, <laughs> honestly, has been in Texas, whether it's been in Austin or <laughs> or um, Houston. And and that's funny, having lived in L.A. and stuff like that, too. It's just that I didn't really feel in community with um, like the L.A. queer community because it's predominantly cis white male. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, there just wasn't room for me. In, in that area. And yet here I get to, to fly my, my flag a little bit higher um, and a little bit louder, which is counterintuitive to what everybody tells you. Don't go to Texas. You'll be. Da -da -da. 
I oh, mean, yeah. not to say that we don't have problems. We definitely have some big time problems. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but we get Red to Abbott exist. Is awful. Uh, but you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, my entire life, I was told that if I moved to California, it would make me gay. Like it was just a thing. You know, it was like, <laughs> don't go to California. You're gonna come it's back. A whole you know, skit gay. of gays. <laughs> you're gonna come back gay in California. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, I, I, I do just love that a place can influence you so heavily. You're just like, oh my gosh, I'm gay now. Um, yeah. So, so you and I have overlap in multiple communities because we are inner. I mean, because we are queer folks and we are uh, mixed folks. Uh, so, a lot of the conversations that, and besides the fact that we're also comic nerds and fans and shit like that, general mm -hmm. geeks, um, we have a lot of intersectionality between between us, which is what makes talking to you uh, so fun. But some of the stuff that we've talked about in terms of the mixed side, which I think. If I if I can kind of grab from our most recent conversation that we had is is you and I trying to explain to a, a friend of ours that's a monoracial black person, like what it's like when we're erased for whichever side, for whatever side, whatever thing that we are um, mixed with and and watching that like really surprise a monoracial black person. Yeah, I think that people have this. Oh. I think there's this assumption, right, that um, we have the same puppy dog story mm -hmm. as mixed people. Um, we don't fit in or we um, pass in a certain way or stuff like that. And then there's not much room left in the general understanding of the nuance that exists there. Right. Um, yeah. So it was a cool conversation, too, because it branched off and so many different ways that I think we'll definitely explore as we continue to talk mm -hmm. here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, um, the biggest thing for me, what, what I, what I liked most in that moment is that um, the, the three mixed people in the room was you, Abdu, who has also been, I guess I'm militantly mixed and mm -hmm. myself. And we were three shades of mixed black, <laughs> all of us having somewhat of a similar situation uh, experience and some of us having slightly different experience in which our skin tone didn't necessarily tell our whole story where we're automatically accepted within blackness just based off of how dark or light we were or what we're into, how we sound is also at play into whether or not we're black enough, quote unquote. Um, for the room and i think that's what was the most surprising because if i have the same conversation with a, a monoracial white person um they're only seeing me as the brown mm. and um and not really seeing that like the fact that there are lighter shades of brown and or a little bit of white in there too um it comes into play at all it's just assumed it doesn't come into play at all and yet um on the flip of that conversation where you're talking to, to monoracial black people, it can be like, but you're black, which is both welcoming and erasing at the same time. But then also like, wait, black people treat you like you're not black sometimes. And the funny, not the funny, haha, but the, the funny thing about that is, is that even someone who is a darker shade of Brown than both of us, Abdu will have moments like that where someone's like, but you're Arabic. So you're not really, black and it's like he's a full dark skinned dude yeah like um but if he doesn't black, code, right. <laughs> yeah yeah, so you, that yeah was like you said we have like people that black folks that'll go yeah but you're black like yeah. but on the flip side so um my aunt 
she's show, so she's my adopted aunt, but she is white. Um, and I don't know why that was funny. I don't know why I laughed, but um, so she's white. <laughs> and, we we're just like, but, <laughs> they're white. <laughs> <laughs> so my her. siblings, um, that are her like you know biological niece and nephew, she was explaining that the three of us to somebody else are mixed but we identify it's black we don't identify solely as white like if we will we will say we're black but we will and we'll say we'll mix but we won't say we're white right i'm she pointed that out i think during the george floyd stuff Mm. Mm. there was like a lot of black lives matter stuff going on my my sister had been more vocal about um i guess her identity than mm-hmm. usual and I think we all were being more vocal about our blackness and that I won't say made my own uncomfortable but it did catch her off God because I think she was thinking they're talking so much about their blackness but I haven't like and they identify as black but I don't ever hear them identify as white yeah that's the thing that I think is weird that white people don't get because um, be- because we can't maneuver I mean even me, I'm paler than you and I have straighter hair. So I, if someone's not looking at my whole face and stuff like that, they might not perceive blackness. Um, if a non-black person is looking at my face, they not, might not perceive blackness. And so, but, but they also won't perceive whiteness. They won't assume I'm white and therefore I won't maneuver as a white person. So no matter what, what's, what's unique about being mixed with white is that we're, you uni- like a short of like legitimate, assume white assumed appearance or passing you cannot maneuver as a white person Um, Mm -hmm. yeah there's no there's no me going into anything being like but no officer i'm white like there's no there's nothing like here's a picture of my family you know like yeah like none of that (laughs) and that was something that bothered me when um dante wright was killed that his white mother said i thought my whiteness would protect him and that statement upset me so much as a mixed person because you realize that you that there is this systemic problem right like oh and yeah and that, that you, everyone's you, aware of yeah but to think that like it somehow they would be seen as white when they won't be and you won't be like no. um you might do something that someone would say that's white acting. And then you're like, Whoa, but I'm, but look at me, I'm a whole, you know, like I'm a mixed person or whatever. Um, because I've heard that too, where people have, have decided like a, a behavior is a white behavior or whatever thing. Oh man, I've gotten that my entire life about so many things about me, but you know, it's funny that you say that. Cause I think back to Bubba Wallace, who's a, if anybody doesn't know, is a black NASCAR driver he's biracial mm-hmm. and so um mm-hmm. i remember when he won he won like a really big race i can't remember the name of it right now but he won he was the first black person to win that race um and so there was a big video lots of celebration all this stuff from nascar and somebody commented like this old white dude you know because the entire video is him talking about how he feels achieved as a black person having like achieved this and this old white dude kind of comments and he's like well don't forget you're part white like what and what and what <laughs> and what but that's also more for us to determine right like <laughs> like if if any achievement that we have it, it was difficult because of the layers of blockages that happen for us as people of color whatever those 
those you know ethnic groups and races are don't tell me to celebrate also that I'm whiteness because in that case my whiteness didn't help me achieve anything right like it's just that these are the things I am yeah I, I hate when that that kind of stuff happens because I think it happened to Cap Kaepernick too um mm, I think probably. to a degree it happens to Obama too um oh oh yeah and Obama's a complicated person for me because because he's he for me he doesn't I, I can't define him as black and white mix. I define him as legitimately African-American, African. you know, because his father is from Africa and, and because he was raised predominantly in Hawaii and um, Indonesia with his white family. Yes, he came back and he started to maneuver and it became obvious the blackness was more at play in the way people treated him. But his upbringing wasn't like my upbringing where I was raised in a black community, we're all black and systems in place to block us from, you know, mm. benefits and, and privileges and stuff like that. We're at play where I grew up. And so I feel like his, his experience and my experience is different, even though he would appear more obviously black in the same way that you do, right? Like you appear more obviously black than I do. And yet I have a more black upbringing than he does. Because mm, I yes. grew up around black people and in a black community, and he did not. Um, and so that I think that was one of the interesting things that we were talking about too the other day is this thing of like moments in where you and I side by side might be treated as different kinds of black because I have a hood upbringing and you and I don't. were sheltered, yeah, yeah, and you were sheltered, yeah, and, <laughs> yeah, like, um, so that's it. So let me ask. How do you identify yourself? Like, forget the list of things that you are mixed with. Like, how do you maneuver? How do you identify yourself? Uh, so I maneuver the world as a as a black person. Um, okay. uh, I consciously know that I mix. I know it because genealogy and stuff. Like, cause duh. <laughs> <laughs> you know the different grades of hair that I have in my head and all that. But you know. Right. I think that there was a point in my life where my mom actually discouraged the term mixed. And it oh, was really? because everyone around me, everyone around me identified as black and we always had some white in us. You know, it wasn't really a thing where we were tasked with understanding the parts of us that we were comprised of because the most important right. thing was our blackness. Um, and so, like, I think it was discouraged to really think of myself as anything other, because I remember being in elementary school, and this was the time, <laughs> this was a part of my life where I was relentlessly bullied, because I went to an all-black, like, Power to the People elementary school, Harm mm. Clark, The Hood, um, and I was, like, called white all the time, and I was made fun of quite often, and uh, what was we had triggering to fill out them something. calling you white? Was it that you were lighter skinned, or that what is it your behaviors that they were coding as white? Do you remember? Oh, both. I was a pale child. I was a very pale child, and uh, I had straight hair. So, oh no, shit. I had straightened. I had straightened hair. So, um, I had straightened hair. My hair wasn't all natural or curly. Um, I had a pretty loose curl pattern when I was growing up too. Mm. So you put all that up over time. Mm -hmm. oh, okay. And so you put all that together, you get a kid that gets picked on a whole lot um, and called white. And mm. yeah, same thing though. Like I, I read a lot. I talked a lot. I was compared to Carlton pretty much every day of my life. And I, 
I mm-hmm. I was not um, taken seriously as a black person. And you combine that with the opportunity that we got to self-identify. So I remember just filling out something in school and it like told you to list your race. And I like clicked black. I, I checked black and I checked white mm. and my mom saw it and she was like, just check black. Mm. Like, that's what you are. That's what you are. Mostly that's what you are around us. You're black. Mm. And so I think that's just, that's been on my mind. Even like when you do the, like, you meet all your family members and I have like family members that are just straight up white people. <laughs> um, yeah, you're like, but them. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and <laughs> especially with like 23 and me and all this stuff and you're they're like, hey, you got a new cousin and it's just like Gary <laughs> from Louisiana or something and you're, you're like. <laughs> Louisiana. <laughs> sounds like we're taking in a call. Um, we're, we're bringing on the line, Gary from Louisiana. <laughs> That's funny. And so, you know, like, as an adult, I'm thinking, like, it's okay, Crimson. You can identify as both black and white now. Mm-hmm. And then there's just a little child in the back of my mind that's like, no, only black. <laughs> like, that's it. I'm that's only safe in this way. Yeah, I, I have to, I have different feelings about this. Because I think in, in one respect, no one's going to tell me how I get to identify. I get to identify myself and blah, 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 blah. And even though technically, which is why I always say it like this, technically, I am more white than anything else. I didn't. What wasn't raised in whiteness and both of my parents, I don't have a white parent. Both of my parents are biracial white. So a black, white father, Japanese, white mother. And so the, I didn't know part of my white family. First of all, I, I knew my British grandmother, like that was the only white person that I knew. I didn't really know my white grandfather. Um, he wasn't around and we didn't go to family parties that involved white people except for my Nana. Like that was, she was the literal lonely white person that I grew up around. So it's hard for me to really like legitimately identify as white, even though I know like ethnically there's Welsh, there's English, there's Scottish, right? Because like she came from there, like one generation, that's where, that's where it was from. Right. So for, so there's that part of it where like, let me tell you how I ethnically identify. I identify as black, Japanese and British white, Welsh and English and Scottish. Um, and then I was like, here's how I identify culturally black and Japanese with a little bit of British culture, because those are the things I had access to. I was, I was weekend Japanese. I was black all the time. And then I had a little dose of, of white, of white Britishness because my Nana was around. And then if someone just asks me the quick question and they don't ask me in a way that makes me not want to tell them what I am, if they just say, what are you? And they, and it's like a black person, because I know they mean like, what do you mix with? I just say black and Japanese. Because at that point, it is more about who I am culturally, predominantly, I'm black and Japanese. Um, And so I feel like there's that version of it. Then on the flip side of it, there's the political identification, which I think has weight that maybe not all of us are prepared for or have really thought through. Um, And I didn't really start thinking it through until the last couple of years. And I think a lot of this is sparked off of uh, George Floyd and the, and the movements of uprising that happened immediately after that was that while I think I was politically identifying as black, I didn't know necessarily that that's what I was doing, Mm. but, but so like on the check boxes, for example, um, for the census in particular, there was a huge fight and a push. And I know some of the people who did this, um, I've met them through the show, who pushed to get the checkbox for mixed race or multiracial people on 
the way America identifies mixed people, right? Seems to be a huge thing, an inclusive thing. But what they didn't know was going to happen, what they could not have anticipated necessarily, except for hashtag white supremacy, clicking the mix box on the sense, yeah, white supremacy, just like a rainbow of white supremacy. Um, clicking the mix box on the census, co they automatically push those to white. So the mm. financial benefit that is gained by clicking your racial categories, your ethnic categories, if you click mixer or multiracial, it'll automatically defer to white. And so white people get, as the majority people, white people get the financial benefit with that. So for me, depending on what neighborhood I'm living in, I'm either clicking black or Japanese. So when I lived in West mm -hmm. LA, it was a mix between a white and a Japanese community. I clicked Japanese because Japanese were the people that were going to benefit more if they had higher numbers. And then everywhere else I'm black. Like it doesn't matter if I'm in a predominantly white community, predominantly black community or whatever, I'm going to, I'm going right. to click black. So for me, politically identify as black the way I vote, I identify as a black voter, the way, you know, the way I would uh, check the census. I no longer click the mix box for the census. I might click the mix box in other places, like at the hospital or the doctor's office, because I need them to know, check for the shit that you need to check for, for black people and check for the shit that you need to check for, for Asian people, you know, because yeah. I need both of those things to be paid attention to. So I think like, first of all, our identity is super fluid, but also, the way we identify as we're walking around the world and the way we identify politically might not be the same things, but for mm -hmm. both equally very important reasons. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I can get behind that, especially because the way that I've been perceived has changed over time. Sure. Um, that's true. I think about um, when I was a kid, right? There was no doubt in anyone's mind that I was something other than just black. Like I got mm. it a lot, even as a kid old person in the grocery store being like, you're not full black. Like, what are you? Up until like high school, I remember getting uh, my textbooks um, at the Bakey um, or the high school for health professions. And I just remember picking up my textbooks and this lady grabbing my face and looking me in my no. eyes and going, what are you? Uh -uh. Don't touch and me. And like my eye color is like a really bright hazel. Mm -hmm. uh, back then, my hair was getting straighter. Uh, it was straightened, and with that came some, you know, just a general like this person isn't. It's like it's like being around a queer person, and you're like that person's not straight, right? But with race, <laughs> right? right? <laughs> it's the um, it's the. Do you have a little sugar in your tank, or? Is there a little flavor in there? Those questions are equally questions I get asked. And one has to do with whether or not I'm queer. And one has to do with whether or not I'm black. Right. And now there's no doubt in anybody's mind that I am black. Yeah. But whether or not there's something else at play. Almost like, yeah. like you're, you're like, like a... Like, are you are you a little bit of a wizard? You full magic? Or like, what's the deal here? This kind full of thing. magic? <laughs> you, you are know, full like, magic, though. Um, I remember me and my brother going to one of the free gyms in Third Ward and this guy following us around the gym going, are y'all, y'all look like y'all from one of them islands. Which like, island? What island? Which island? <laughs> right? <laughs> and like... <laughs> what island that's full of light skins? What, what are we talking about here? That's fine. Tell me, like, like what? <laughs> and we were, <laughs> we were sitting there like, wow, this guy felt the need to like continually, repeatedly ask us, 
if we were from them islands and yeah. and it was just such a concept that like he could not just accept the fact that we were black um or Texans. like he knew it was like it was like a like a game uh like a murder mystery of like he suspected something else oh my gosh the amount of times people don't believe you and just continue to guess like first of all people don't guess like i know this shows for mixed people and not monoracial people but i know i have a lot of monoracial listeners like don't guess <laughs> Just don't guess, right? <laughs> um, let me decide if you have permission, if you, if I'm granting you permission to know me that way. Um, but the mm-hmm. insistence on you're not correct about your identity. Let me let me school you on your own identity um, mm-hmm. or your own. Mix. You ever so, had a white person tell you that they're blacker than you? Uh, that, uh, oh, it's such a it's oh, it gets under my skin. <laughs> I've, I've, I've had that um, that a white person is blacker than me, and I've all, which is a stretch. Um, first of all, like even if you grew up around black people, like it's still a stretch. Um, and <laughs> and and I've also had a white person who was as white as white came say to me that they were more Asian than me. It's crazy the amount of like just blindingly white people that yeah. will just try to insert a way in which they are more special than you are because you don't comply to the stereotypes or the general expectations of right and that's all they're doing is just a stereotype it's just like mm-hmm. i can dance or i can eat this food or oh, I, I whatever whatever the the most generic stereotype is is where is where that happens yeah so you so you do have like a a transformation and sort of like your the way you're identified is that people are now identifying you as black whether or not they still will ask you where you from does that happen as often now or is no, it just that it you're assumed as a light-skinned black man uh i'm, I'm mostly just kind of like white uh light-skinned black dude a lot of people will like in conversation we'll just assume that you're biracial like we had like a like a work activity where we like threw anonymous papers around the room and like one of the questions was like one of the prompts was i'm biracial and everyone looked at like me and like one other light-skinned person oh really so it's still generally assumed um uh and (laughs) um because you're like me right you don't have a white parent you have two parents that are mixed also Right. Yeah. Right. And like, it's, it's so like my dad, his dad wasn't necessarily white. His dad's dad was white, but his dad was so white passing. It was ridiculous. I see. Yeah. And so it's heavy. It's heavy. Like my dad had a full ponytail that was just like loose, loose pattern, uh, curl pattern. I was looking at him the other day. Um, and like even his beard, his beard is just loose curl pattern version of mine. Mm. Right. Mm. So like we, you can see, the European just kind of like span through. Right. Um, <laughs> but um, uh, so, yeah, I don't have, but that's the thing is that like people see my mom, people see my dad, two real light skinned individuals, right? And they're just like, oh, so you're like, like you're really like not black. Like you've got so much in you that you possibly can't be like as black as we want you to be. And now that I've gotten yeah. older, yeah, there's that concept of like, you have like you have two light skinned parents. You don't have one that is real black to black? give you credit for. Yeah, I got you. And Damn. like it's rough. It's rough. It's a, it's a stupid, stupid thing. But yeah, that's I, gross. From it is. It doesn't matter whether it's from a children or adults. It's the same general level of ignorance and amount of understanding of 
race and ethnicity. Um, but yeah, you have, you have that. And like, even my students, my students that are like in high school, they assume that I'm black in Mexico, um, black in Mexico, black and black Mexican. In Mexico. <laughs> Crimson, he is black and Mexico. <laughs> black and Mexican or black and white. Like they, they already kind of have that preconception. So oh, okay. it's, it's one of those things. Plus I'm, you know, I always wear hats and stuff like that. It's something like, and I keep my hair cut short. So my curls aren't always visible. So everybody has like an assumption of what it means to look black or not. Mm. And it just, it ultimately just boils down to that. Like everybody has their expectation of what it means like to look black. Like you're black, but you're not black, black. Yeah. The you're not black, black thing is not something that I, I get obviously because probably my, my appearance is more ambiguous than yours, but I get the opposite of that. I get, Oh, you black, black because of the way I code my personality, mm. the way I talk, the things I'm into, stuff like that. So I I have a I just have a weird flip of kind of like what you experience as a more obviously black presenting, you know, an appearing assumed person. And I am not black assumed. I'm racially ambiguous, but when someone hears me talk or hears how I grow up, they're like, "Oh, you're black black." But you and I will get that sentence totally different. Mhm. Which is Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I mean, I definitely am seeing more black than I was like, let's say when I was seven. Let's say when I was thirteen. Mm. Like, somehow so, I have reached the precipice of tangible, tangible blackness, which we talked about. Tangible before. blackness. That's what you said. I could not think of the word you said the other day. <laughs> Good. Thank you for bringing that back up. Okay, let's get into that. <laughs> yeah. So, um, good example. I come from on one side of my family, a long line of black cowboys, mm. and they have black westerners have a black western and southern folk have a different culture than let's say white western and southern folk there are intersections but they have their own so like um black western and southern folk typically do more zydeco um when they're around each other than two step and two seven through the dance halls you know there's like different things and so Mm -hmm. i remember hanging out with my cousin and i wanted two step because i don't know how to dance to zydeco um and he was like oh and the girl that i was dancing with he told her like oh you know he doesn't know how to to dance like like he doesn't do he doesn't do zydeco he knows that white people dance mm. you know um and that's and your the, own family that's my own family mm. you know or my uh playlist had gone from zydeco music to like I had it on shuffle when it went to rap music and he's like, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. When he turned it off and he's like, Hey man, we don't listen to that kind of music around here. Right. Like this isn't that kind of party, you know? Mm. And it's, it's just a general insinuation that. So did you somehow go to be not black enough and too black in one shuffle? Like <laughs> I, I, I was not black enough. It was just, that was just it. I was just not black enough. Mm. Like I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to dance Zydeco and then my playlist went to rock music and it was just the oh rock I, music not rap music rock music oh okay i got you i thought you said rap rap music and they're like this is not that kind of oh no no, no like, rock music and it was you, just gotcha, that okay. thing of it was just the thing of like oh well by my own family <laughs> yeah but, i got you uh, having to fight for my blackness has always been a thing my nickname was light bright growing up light bright I, I never heard that term until I met Byron. 
Really? <laughs> and then he he said it he said it a few times. I've since heard other people say it, but I I associate that term with uh with Byron. Um, I was raised being told that I was high yellow. High yellow, yeah. I've heard that 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 one I would get. And I'm what still, about yellow bone? Did anybody ever ask you or call you yellow bone? I'm still considered yellow bone now. Here. Okay. Uh, my brother, though, my brother John is considered to be red bone because he's darker than I am. The one that I've met with the with the locks. No, the he's a uh, he's different, uh, different. no, he's darker than me. He's my younger brother on my mom's side. Okay, and um, he's he he's always been a a more red complected child. I don't know mm-hmm. how to I got how you, to yeah. describe that, but he tans easier than I do he's darker so he was a red bone baby mm. you know um with he had a little blonde afro when he was a baby <laughs> a little um, red bone with the blonde afro nice uh so he's red bone I was yellow bone and that was one of the indicators that people used to refer, like refer to us as growing up yeah and you didn't really there was no real conversation about how that affected us. Yeah, that that's the biggest thing, a gap in, I think, mixed parenting, um, parenting of mixed children is the assumption that we get what they experience. And even in your case where your parents are also both light skinned black, but they may have completely different experiences even from you and you are being raised with the with maybe their insecurities as to like, them not being black enough in quotation fingers, you know? And so they'll raising you with like, no, you get, you're black, you're black. And then now you are walking the earth, having to deal with that and how people are perceiving you at the same time. Um, yeah. yeah. I know a few people now that do a lot of work in terms of helping interracial families raise mixed kids and, and do the work to get in touch with, uh, you know, teaching mixed kids that they can own their own identity. But that's something completely new. Like I didn't start hearing about that until I started doing the show. Um, so there's a lot of healing mm-hmm. that needs to happen for us. I'm discovering a lot now, to be honest with you. Cause like my whole life, again, it was just nothing but blackness or unless I did something that was not considered black, then I was white and I was always told I needed to be more black by people who either were or weren't black. Oh, that's And my parents are both people that have maneuvered black spaces better than I can sometimes. Meaning that they maneuver more as the tangible blackness that you and I were talking about before and where you feel like you're out out of arm's reach or yeah yeah like my I both of my parents both of my biological parents have like when they were growing up they went to black parties they hung out with more black people than white and technically I have too but for some reason or like I have to to an extent so they had their entire lives were enveloped and blackness whereas mm-hmm. mine I was either like a very isolated child or when I finally went to like middle school and high school I was surrounded by people of other ethnicities mm-hmm. and was interested in everything that it, their lives encompassed as well or interested in pop culture which typically was pretty Eurocentric mm-hmm. um, and when you have all that combined it's like an hour-long lecture about why you should be listening to more rap music and not Disney pop. 
<laughs> not Disney pop. Um, <laughs> it's funny because through you, I've only met mixed people. I don't know if you realize that, but you've only brought mixed people. I in. only know, like, my immediate circle of friends are mixed people. Like, yeah. we have, in my my personal private friend group chat, there's only, and nope, he's also, he's African and Black. So everyone, literally everyone in that group chat is mixed that's in funny. some capacity. Because I've met a couple of your siblings and then your one friend that's a Waysian, Um who I'm still waiting to get fed by, mind you. Oh, yeah. Like, um, yeah. We're definitely going to bring you food. That's happening. <laughs> um, but just kidding. But, um, but also, yes. Uh, but, yeah. So, from you, I've only I've only actually met. And, and most of those mixed people are black mixed people um, or mixed with black people, whichever um, identifier that, that they have. Uh, so, that's that's funny because I... I feel like what from what I experience of you that you actually have a pretty rich mixed life, but it sounds like you're saying you don't have a very rich black life, and I'm also doing quotation fingers when I say that. Right, I realize I'm blacker than I thought I was. Yeah, <laughs> no, yeah, because I mean you're 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 really a. Mer- I mean, even within like the queer culture that I've heard stories from you and Byron about that's a black queer um, environment that y'all are in. I got, I got adopted into it. So when I, um, it's really funny. Okay. So I, like I told you, my whole life been called white, been called a lot of things. Um, and then, I mean, of course it was a predominantly, it was, it was a mainstream queer organization that took me in mm. um, when I needed help. Like it was black CD, black C, I mean, sorry, White CEO, white CFO, mostly white staff at the time. Those are the people that took me in when I needed it. Mm-hmm. Um, I got turned into a poster kid. It was it was genuine help. Don't get me wrong. It was genuine help. Some people will insinuate more malicious things, like I was mm-hmm. being used. Mm-hmm. Um, but I genuinely appreciate the help. It got me through college. It got me through life. Mm-hmm. Um, but because of the, the way that that was established that a lot of the people that I first got introduced to in the queer community were older white people. Mm. And I was around them um, a lot. And so black queer people saw that and was like, Oh, he's anti-black. He only hangs about white people. They never asked me. They never knew my story. They never, mm. they never asked. None of them wanted, none of them even made an effort to be my friend to know. Mm-hmm. And then when they started to get to know me or they wanted to get with me, they realized that I was blacker than they gave me credit. Blacker than they gave me credit for. There's just been a whole lot of quotation fingers in this video, y'all. So for those of you who are just listening, a lot of quotations. We're we're just doing quotation fingers. It's just been mostly in uh, like an air quotation conversation. (laughs) We could probably communicate solely through uh, air quotations. (laughs) That's true. Um, But yeah, so then it was like I remember one of my exes going, "Oh, after meeting my family, oh, so you're." you're black black like you're really black like your family plays spades and 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 listens to to Luther Vandross. gracious like I, okay to be fair <laughs> i would also say like i would be surprised if i met a white person that played spade never made white people that have played spades ever in my life but also like that's your determination that you actually come from a black black family is that i can't blame i can't blame spade so like i can't play spades so like my Black card is on the nice right now. Like every time oh, I gosh. talk to somebody, 
um, and like black folks, like when I've gotten into predominantly black queer spaces, you know, it's a celebration of blackness and queerness and um, which is wonderful. But in that same sense, it's like, oh, let's listen to this. Um, let's listen to this song. Let's play spades. And I'll be honest with you. I was reading comic books when my granny was playing spades with my with my family members. Right. I was I was distracted with other things. It wasn't that I I didn't realize that at some point it was going to be tied to my blackness. I just thought it was a card game. You know. Yeah, it's a rite of passage. <laughs> and even I like I don't play any or I haven't played in probably twenty years. So I don't feel like right now I could I could say that I can play. Although I used to be the the scorekeeper in my family. Um, or when we, when my family would play. So like, I feel like I would have to learn all over again myself, but yeah, like it's technically a rite of passage, but also if your family didn't, you know, force again, quotes, <laughs> quotes, um, didn't force you to take your rite of passage, then like, yeah, now you have to deal with an a, adulthood of people like declaring you not black enough. Yeah, and, and I was a sheltered Christian child. So while I was watching Veggie Tales, my peers at school were watching Baby Kids. While I was listening to <laughs> Matthew West and Jeremy Camp and and Rebecca St. James, you know, they were listening to uh Tupac and uh Lloyd and 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 uh Genuine, you know, like there was a, a mm-hmm. disconnect, yeah. not because of my race but just my culture it's literally like how you were you were brought up and and that speaks more to your shelteredness than your than it quote unquote being whiteness because it's not like it's been driven by whiteness necessarily with the exception of christianity being very much a white driven cultural phenomenon Um, well so evangelical christianity is predominantly white yeah Christianity and a lot in the of people United decolonizing. States. Christianity in the United States is is very much white driven. Even though there are a so lot of much. black Christians, it's a tool of white supremacy and sl- enslavement. So that's it's very much a white culture. Um, yeah, and that's the thing is that like it just in itself is it almost seems like a giant misunderstanding, mm-hmm. right? Like the you thought I wasn't black, but what I really was was just not experienced with the outside world. Like, <laughs> yeah, you weren't worldly. You weren't secular. You <laughs> right, were, like it was, yeah, you know. Um, or the, I've had um, one of my ex's friends said, "Why do you sound like a CW character?" You know, like what? And saying that <laughs> the way that I sound, the way that I speak, uh, is. Uh, just not. It's not. It's not black enough, right? I sound like I sound like apparently, like like I belong in some some TV drama when n- like not you're the one black character in a school of white kids or something like that, right? Something like that. I see. Um, or you know, if I get a little drunk or I get a little mad, I sound really southern. And to somebody who isn't from the south, they might associate that to whiteness, I even though. You. Okay. Um, actually, this this conversation kind of hurt, like hurts my heart for you even more than in previous conversations because I didn't I didn't realize the degree at which, like, people were associating like literally 
you not being like gen pop socialized like you know you know what i'm saying like not in the <laughs> i'm saying gen pop but i don't mean in the prison i literally mean just like in the world like and regular right. school, like all that kind of stuff i didn't realize that that so much of your assumed lack of blackness had more to do with the fact that you were raised in a very like conservative christian kind of sheltered christian upbringing i mean i know you've said it before but i didn't, I didn't realize to the degree but yeah, like again, I said, it, it all feels like a giant misunderstanding at some point. This, like, I wasn't actively rejecting blackness. I was just put into spaces in which I didn't learn the mm -hmm. things that my peers learned and how to portray tangible blackness. Right. And and to be fair, like, everybody who's walking down the streets, none of us know their story. To, so to just assume that because you speak a certain way or because the things that you're actively interested in are something that they're not actively interested in that that automatically means you're the one that's not black enough versus i have a weird standard of what blackness means if i'm telling a person who's clearly a black person whether that's black mixed or mixed black or or all the way black or regular black or blackity black or whatever the fuck identify i can't believe it's not black i can't believe black, that's right i can't black. believe it's not black that's that was a good yeah. one um you know regardless of what that is that 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 they're deciding for you what that is and the impact that that's had on just like you the way you have maneuvered too um so i imagine there's been periods of time of like literally asking for permission to occupy a space because you feel like you've been excluded from those spaces in the past. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, so my dad, my biological dad's a rapper and producer and me wanted to be like my dad. I used to freestyle. I used to rap. I used to perform mm -hmm. until I was made fun of because it's like, you're not black enough to rap, mm. you know? And then I'm I just sorry. stopped. I'm sorry that that happened to you. Cause that, that's, that says way more about the other people that are saying it to you, but we don't, we're not equipped with that tool at a young age to be like, this is more about you, not about me. Right. Like we're not, we don't learn that until we're adults. Mm -hmm. And then as I started to become more quote unquote, tangibly black um, in the eyes of other people, I then thought, do I really want to rap or is it just going to be seen as a black person thing to do? Mm. Oh, so is that impacting like how you even maneuver blackness because you don't want to be perceived too black? I don't want like, to be perceived as like a tryhard, perhaps, or a like tryhard. Okay, I got you. I got you. A performative blackness. Right. Wow. Because I, yeah, I've been, I've been accused of that before, right? Like we get it. You're black. You don't have to try to be. Kind yeah, of thing. I get that. I. I God, again, this is. <laughs> like the reason why this to be devastating no no it, no it's a good conversation but the, <laughs> the weirdest thing that it reveals to me and it's it's kind of a sad thing that it reveals to me is that because w you know we are not a monolith we we, we want to all agree with that but but blackness at the same time we do treat blackness like a monolith and and that is not never more evident than when i'm speaking to a more obviously physical black person like you <laughs> you've got darker skin than i am you're still a light-skinned person but you have darker skin than i am you are more easy to code as black by any average passerby than i am and i am just never 
or very rarely subject to you're not black enough because the way my blackness codes is hood blackness and we have i guess collectively decided that even though we're not a monolith we're going to accept hood blackness over any other kind of way to maneuver as a black person because you're still maneuvering as a black person like it doesn't matter that you listen to a particular type of music or that you never learned how to dance to this kind of music or that, you know, you sound a certain kind of way when you rap, da, 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 you know, whatever the thing is, the standards at which you're held to compared to me, given that people, the more of what I hear in my life is, oh, you black versus you're not black enough. Right. And it's so bizarre given our appearances just, but you know what I'm saying? It, so I like, feel like I feel like a traitor sometimes, you know, like, oh, but I thought you were fault. black. Oh, I thought you were black. But that's not your fault. And that 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 but that standard being held to you is so fucking unfair when literally me with my straight ass Asian hair will be treated completely different than you just because I grew up in Long Beach. Like that's. that's yeah, like, I mean, you had. You've had times where black people did not want to associate with you because you, like, or me, I listened to, like, like, when I was growing up, big, big uh, influx of pop punk, right? Like, that mm-hmm. was a pretty heavy establishment. Like your era? Of- my era. Yeah. And so, there were black kids who secretly listened to, like, Paramore and, like, Chemical Romance Legit. and all that. But they, I've seen on TikTok and on social media them talking about them having to hide it. And me, already not giving uh, – sorry, can I cuss on here? Yeah, we're, we're wrong. All right, yeah. So, already <laughs> – that's a very southern <laughs> thing to ask. I'm sorry. But um, – <laughs> but <laughs> not <laughs> – <laughs> But me not giving a fuck about what people perceived me as anyway, because I had already tried and failed right. to be seen as black um, by my peers. I just didn't give a shit. I was like, you know what? Like, I will wear these pink sputtered Converse and this studded belt. Sure, yeah. I will. Huh? I said, sure, yeah, because like, yeah, and I would, I will what? listen to this music proudly, and I will, you know, like either it, like show you some some Christian rock music or some some punk music that my friend downloaded on my mp3 player like that was where i was in life sure. and i was really loud and proud about it and i didn't realize until i was an adult and i'm watching these tiktoks and seeing these posts on face, social, social media of like the black people that were like oh we had to hide this interest yeah and i was like so that's why i got bullied because i didn't because you didn't yeah exactly because for me like in my era it was, I couldn't be a black comic book nerd. So I had to hide mm. that. And now I'm letting my comic flag fly because like, I finally realized, oh, you don't have to listen to everybody else. But, but the punk movement, like even in the punk movement that was happening in England, like early, like during my time, like my uncle was, was a part of and things like that. That was heavily black, but secretively black. So like you only saw the white punks. You never saw the black punks on the music videos or at the things or whatever, like they were always behind the scene. And yet punk music literally starts from a black woman. Like that's, that's, that's like where the origins come. So like with all music that ends up starting with black women and ending with white guys, um, 
you nearly know, every branch of what we consider rock music has like a black founder. Black founder, right? Goth, goth rock, and 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 metal. And then and... you still have to hide while you're existing as a black person who's interested in this, and you still have to hide, even though its origins come from people who more likely look like you than look like the people who are known to be those fans. Um, your oh. version of that is the 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 punk, the the pop, the that culture mine is the comic book culture and it's like mm. we haven't figured this out in all these different generations because i'm almost no, 20 no. years older than you i felt <laughs> i i found i sound like a tickle me Elmo. i i so i found out that <laughs> uh, <laughs> or the pillsbury doughboy um but i found out that pete wentz um a yeah. member of yeah, he's black. follow boy he's he's black he's mixed yeah, he's making- and every time he posts something about it, he gets bullied into taking it down and yeah. ignoring it. And right. it's like, dude, what kind of solidarity is that? The fact that this man stands in solidarity with us and then we bully him into... You're... Which is completely out of his his control, right? Like, he didn't get to pick his skin color when he just grew up mixed. Why are we always punished for the way that we look? Like, we can't control it. Do you think that there was, like, a drop-down menu before we were conceived? Bro, seriously, because do you think I would look, like, <laughs> disambiguous if I could pick on a drop-down menu what I would look like as a fully mixed person? Like, and you why know? am I either fetishized or bullied? Like, can I just get some appreciation? Is there an in-between? Just, yeah. Is just- there... Get- and if there's anything that anybody, if there's a, if a voice clip that gets pulled out of this, out of this podcast, I just wanted to be known, right? That I, because of my features, I'm either fetishized or bullied, and and I I would like a, a healthy in between. A healthy in between <laughs> would be lovely. Um, well, we like I said, this would this would go by really fast. So we we've had already come like pretty much to the end of it. But I so before we wrap up, I do just want to say that like you and I can always talk like this and you don't ever have to accept what other people are telling you about how you get to be. And if you need to sick Sir Auntie Maine on them, you just go ahead and do that. Cause, cause fuck them. Um, but also I love you and I'm glad that you have realized a version of your own blackness that is yours. Um, that people don't get to tell you what that gets I, to look like. I know you. they're going to try, but fuck them. Thank you. I love you too. And yes, I I have been saying it loud. I'm black and I'm proud. And I just hope that eventually somebody will listen. Well, I'm listening. Um, But before we wrap up, I do like to ask all of my guests, because sometimes we do talk about the trauma that's related to the way we're treated as mixed people, which obviously we've talked about here a little bit. And, um, and sometimes it is tough, but I like to end on what do you love most about being mixed? Ah, that is, that's a good question. Um, I let me get a minute to think about it, marinating that question. I I love the experience. It's been something that I wouldn't have been able to get if I were born any other way. Mm-hmm. I get to look at the world through so many lenses. It's almost like being an over, undercover cop, or not even a cop. <laughs> Cop's a bad one. Like an undercover agent. Yeah, okay. There's no good one. Uh, and and an undercover agent, right? Where I'm able to see the different ways and the facets in which people are seeing the world and seeing the, the things around them. Mm-hmm. And I have been able to, I've learned to embrace so many parts of me 
that at one point in time, I either was made to feel ashamed of or didn't know existed. Mm. And so it's just an enriching experience. And I think that's what I love most about being mixed is just that the experience that it is. Mm-hmm. Because it's 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 beautiful. Um, it's frustrating sometimes. It's complex and it's nuanced. But all in all, I am so many different parts of one person. And that in itself, it's just a wonderful experience. Yeah, that's nice. Um, Thank you again for coming on my show with me and for um, embracing me so quickly when I when I came here and and becoming a part of my life. I know we don't get to see each other that that often, but I um, I don't want that to to go away even if I do end up leaving Houston anytime soon. I, I really appreciate you and I've grown to love you so much. So thank you. Same. Absolutely. Like you, you're definitely near and dear to my heart. And before I even met you, I knew that I was going to love you and <laughs> that's exactly what happened. And I think that that's, it's just, it's great. <laughs> uh, and do you want to tell anybody how to find you or do you, do you care? Oh, you sure. Yeah. Um, Instagram, Crimson Loves Comics. It's really straightforward and very true. So <laughs> just Crimson Loves Comics and you'll find me. I I really like, too, that when you're in the shop, if there's something I don't know, like if it's not one of the things that I happen to know about, I'm just like, oh, and you just start talking. <laughs> I'm just like, okay, we uh, clock, uh, clock Crimson in. He's on the job right now. Um, Today, some woman who I'm guessing has met me before said that, and I didn't, I didn't realize that she had met me before because she just, I was explaining something to her son and she stopped me. It was like, what you need to do is set up a table here at the comic book store and you just need to give a speech of all the things that you know <laughs> and then let people shop. I can, and I that can, means that she's met me before. <laughs> I can picture it because like, we can build you a little booth like Lucy has in the Peanuts and it'll just be like comic advice for five cents. And then you can just prop up and someone will drop their little nickel and you can give them a little, uh, a little comic book knowledge. Um, that would work. Yeah, that that actually be hilarious um, if we did that legit one day. Uh, although I guess inflation, we could do five dollars, right? Like it doesn't have to right. Be I mean, like it's been a while since the peanuts <laughs> aired, right? Like, and I'm an adult with bills to pay. You they, bills to they, pay. What were they buying? Were they buying anything? No, probably weren't. Maybe like exactly. we don't even see them eat candy. Like, like we don't see them do much. So I mean, we did see them well, trick or treat, but yeah, we don't see them eat the candy afterwards. Exactly. Either. Like, what do they need that five cents for? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah thanks again <laughs> <laughs> there's an ad lib about the peanuts at the end that's just Militantly Mix is a main hustle media podcast produced and hosted by me Charmaine Fury music is by David Bogan the one you can follow us on social media on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at Militantly Mixed if you'd like to become a sponsor of Militantly Mixed, please go to patreon.com slash militantlymixed for monthly sponsorship or paypal.me slash militantlymixed for a one-time only donation. And if you like what you hear on Militantly Mixed, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to be your mixed-ass self. Main Hustle Media. Turn your side hustle into your main hustle.